place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. And welcome back to the Exxon, everyone. I am Rob McConnell. We're coming to you from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. My guest this hour is Ron Stone. We were uh, talking about Ron in the past hour with Patricia Ress. And um, Ron is a nom de plume, so to speak. Uh, he, re, you know, Ron keeps his identity to himself for one reason or another. And uh, joining me now is Ron Stone. And Ron, welcome to the Exxon. Well, thank you, Mr. McConnell. Now, now, Ron, um, what can you tell us about yourself without identifying yourself? <laughs> well, yes, as... Uh I mentioned uh, this morning when I contacted you folks, I do travel under a nom de voyage of Ron Stone uh, because I've had uh, experiences in the past of inventing things that attracted the attention of uh, governmental sources that were intent upon uh, taking it away. Gotcha. Uh, For example, uh, about four years ago, uh, one of my closest friends, a Ph.D. in chemistry, was... uh, visiting me, and uh, he had, I think, $3,500 in his pocket for traveling expense. He was a multimillionaire worth about $5 million, I'd estimate. His corporation was at least worth that. He had 15 employees. Mm-hmm. He ran a uh, chemical company out of California, a very successful individual, and he had worked with me to invent a free energy machine. But he made the horrible mistake of writing about it in a couple of journals. Mm. And so immediately DARPA, the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, uh, showed up at his door. And he told them he didn't need their help because he was wealthy enough. So while he was visiting me, mm-hmm. uh, all of a sudden his lawyer called and said, uh, did you just donate your corporation? And he said, well, I don't think so. So he flew back to California and discovered that uh, – an alphabet agency of the U.S. government uh, had uh, written a whole bunch of documents saying he donated his corporation and all of his assets. So he had to return to his native country um, and uh, with the $3,500 he'd uh, in his pocket mm-hmm. because they took all of his millions away because they wanted the machine sitting in the basement. Uh, and when he got to his home country, the head of uh, his uh, government called him in and says, you can build a machine for us if you want. We know who did it. And it was the alphabet agency. Uh, unfortunately for them, they couldn't figure out how to turn the machine on. With issues like that, I obviously want to stay under the radar. I understand that, and I can appreciate that, sir. Um, what? How did you meet with meet uh, Patricia Ress? Well, she called me in... Uh, 2009-2010, about 2009, mm-hmm. I was in Arizona at the time, and I was a close friend to a man named Joe Holbrook. He was, at that time, uh, hands down going away the best psychic in the world, and he'd been my friend for oh, since 1979. And he was a very high IQ individual, as well as being a, a great psychic. In the 2000 edition of... Uh, Guinness Book of World Records, for example, it told that the highest IQ ever recorded happened in uh, Houston, Texas in 1955. A man came in and had an IQ so high, over 250, that they couldn't estimate it exactly. Well, about 20 years before that book came out, my friend had told me that he had taken an IQ test in Houston, Texas in 1955, and they said exactly that to him. Uh, So... Pat wanted to write a book about him, his psychic adventures, things like that. He mm-hmm. had more than just the ability to predict the future or something like that. He could teleport and he could give me formulas for medicines like Edgar Casey would. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, although I was busy at the time with other things, over about uh, four hours, I just told her about Joe and she wrote it down and turned it into a book called The Library Upstairs because he could read books out of a library in heaven. That's how I initially met Pat. But over the years, uh, she's become more interested in me uh, because of my um, quirky uh, mental processes. I'm pretty clever on how to invent things, calculate things, uh, 
it's been difficult for them to find a question to ask me that I didn't have the answer to. So um, she's uh, written two or three other books that were focused in, not just on my uh, late friend Joe, but also right. on me. Um, now, according to information that we received from Pat in preparation for her interview, she told us that, uh, let me see, uh, you've been on Earth since the Middle Ages and you've had two strong identities. <laughs> she told you way more than I wanted her to tell you. Okay, but yes, I won't deny what the lady has said. Uh, she's revealing something about me that I wouldn't have want on, wanted on the air, but I'll go ahead and tell you. It's a metaphysical side to myself. Right. Um, let's go back to the year that I was born. Okay. Um, on the day that I was born, I remember being a... a sphere of light moving through a hallway in a hospital and there was another one right next to me mm -hmm. and we went down the hallway to a big glass window where there were babies on the other side of the window in a nursery and uh, the sphere next to me said you're going to be that person I said no I can see that person's future they're going to have a really tough time I don't think so and the other person said no we've timed it to the exact second you have to get in there and he shoved me it's kind of like pushing someone off a cliff and so I fell into this baby and spiraled in through the chest. And when I looked out at my hands and moving in front of me, I thought, well, this is strange. I've forgotten how to speak my native language and uh, uh, I'm having a bit of amnesia here. So I grew up relatively uh, as an ordinary person, except that I had unusual memories. Like I could remember that exact moment I told my mother when I was about five years old. I remember little blue beads with white letters on them on my wrist the morning I was born. And uh, so she went to the top drawer, uh, poured out some loose beads on the bed, and they spelled out uh, baby boy and gave my last name. Right. So I had seen something on the day I'd been born that I should never have uh, known about. They'd been in a drawer for the first five years of my life. What had happened was the baby died and it simply that spirit left and I came in to become this person. Why? Because uh, I was a different individual. I had uh, transmigrated from another body that was extremely old, died in another part of the city, and went over to this uh, hospital nursery to take over. Now, who was this other person? Well, over time, it became clearer and clearer to me uh, who this other person was. The memory started coming back more sharply over the years. And um, basically, it was a person who came here in um, 1412 A.D. from uh, a spacecraft. Uh, he was one of uh, several people on a craft. The, the craft came here because uh, the planet where these people were from had recently been attacked by a civilization, if, and you can put that in quotes, of uh, reptilian life forms. And uh, these... Uh, Reptilians uh, did a bombing of the planet, an aerial bombardment, and my wife was killed. Uh, so in my grief, uh, I um, simply at some point uh, left the planet. Uh, our civilization was extremely advanced and repulsed these, these negative uh, beings quite easily. Uh, but I wandered off being the captain of a small craft with about five other people on board. And because we'd had taken some damage in flight from the uh, reptilians, uh, mm -hmm. my craft was hard to control, and so I simply um, drove it hard into the surface of the earth when we got here, and I spent time with uh, the Modoc Indians in um, northern California, and we crossed over the uh, Bering Straits, and I spent uh, some time living in uh, such places as Florence, Italy, and in 1712, I came over to Florida on board a ship and uh, didn't care for it too much. I went to Mexico City and then up country to uh, this, the States at that point where I stayed, married someone. Uh, there's even a photograph of me uh, um, at some point, I think it was 1869, um, being one of the people that helped drive the uh, Golden Spike uh, that created the Transcontinental Railroad. So um, many decades ago, with all having outlived all of my uh, uh, friends um, and the um, coming of the ability to identify people by their DNA, 
I simply decided it was time to change out of this physical body into another one. Uh, the physical body I had was rather dynamic by human standards, and some of those qualities still uh, take over in this body. I remember one time uh, about 30 years ago, I was running a quarter horse ranch, and a horse decided to chase me, so I outran him. And I jumped over a fence and went about 25 or 30 feet, hit a uh, solid steel guy wire, cut it in half, and kept on going. I have those kind of unusual physical abilities. My IQ is exceptionally high and other qualities like that. I've been tested uh, one time. Uh, my lung capacity was tested, and they were so surprised that the doctor who ran the clinic interviewed me for the next two hours. Uh, I was taking a physical, and he just uh, checked me off on the physical as being perfect, and I said, what's this all about? And he said, well, sir, you have the strongest lungs ever recorded for a human being. And so I have various properties like that that still are hangovers from this uh, previous lifetime. Tell me about that's what. Uh, tell is, tell me about your your association with Leonardo da Vinci. <laughs> well, he was uh, an Italian, um, yes. and uh, he uh, lived in the same neck of the woods that I did. I spent um, about three hundred years living in the Florence area. Uh, it was a difficult passage. I took on a, um, a German uh, shepherd dog for part of the adventure, and we, but he was the only thing that kept me alive as I got into Switzerland, and I crossed down into Florence and stayed there. At least the weather was good. And da Vinci was all over the place. He was uh, not just an inventor and a painter. He was uh, a good man in other ways, and he had all of the characteristics of my psychic friend Joe, Joe Holbrook that I mentioned earlier. Uh, da Vinci could teleport, and he knew things about the future. For example, in um, 1513, he was spending about two and a half years in the Vatican, and in the Vatican, the records are still there, that in his notebooks that he left there, he used such phrases as, according to the standard protocols of time travel. So he was well aware of things. My friend Joe, in his life, was known as the man from the Library of Truth because he could go literally up to heaven and read books uh, on that were in a library there. And uh, for many years, I would just sit there and ask him questions, and he'd close his eyes and read out of a book. And he actually wrote a book called The Cancer Story, which was a condensation of six books in the library using extremely sophisticated language. And he could actually sit down at a typewriter with his eyes closed and type for an hour. Uh, you'd talk with him about something else. He'd turn and pick up the sentence where he left off on his typing. He literally did that. And da Vinci was the man from the Library of Truth in his period uh, 500 years before. So you're talking about the Akashic Records. Well, yes, in a sense. Uh, Joe always told me to pronounce it differently. He was very specific about that. He said, yes, it is, but it's pronounced Akashic rather than Akashic, the way we pronounce it on Earth. He said some of the things that we learn here on Earth are mispronounced because they just don't quite get to the public right. Uh, by the way, uh, my friend Joe was mentioned on television last night. A friend called me from uh, Florida and said she was watching a show called um, Ghost Adventures Never as being broadcast in Florida. And they sent a crew of people to uh, film ghosts walking through a house. And the psychic that was there said, well, there are seven ghosts in the house. And she named them all, gave them each one a first name, Mary, Joe, Red, whatever. And she said, oh, and there's, a, there's an eighth person here that uh, wants to be known. And they said, well, who is the eighth person? And so she gave two names for this person, unlike the others. And she said, this person is Joe Holbrook. Hmm. And that's my friend. That was last night on television. So, you know, it's a very real thing. Uh, and Da Vinci was the same way. He understood time travel and teleportation. He was the man from the Library of Truth. Uh, many of the things that Da Vinci came up with are not really revealed to the public. For example, the Vatican contains a working model of his airplane. It actually works. Fascinating. The world just doesn't know that. Da Vinci had the uh, highest IQ recorded um, in human history, you can record it by uh, an electromagnetic hysteris device. About 30,000 people were tested about 30 to 40 years ago. 
Michelangelo came out second and Da Vinci came out the highest. So Joe would be right around the same IQ as Da Vinci. The people that became the man from the Library of Truth over the centuries and decades usually were someone of significance. Um, for example, three U.S. presidents were the man from the Library of Truth. So Da Vinci, it's not surprising. I collect a lot of antique paintings, and so I'm very uh, influenced by uh, Da Vinci. He had a lot of mysterious things that he was saying in his paintings, predictions of the future that would be lost on others. Uh, I probably have about 16 or 17 uh, paintings worth about $300 million. And uh, so I know what I'm talking about when I talk about antique paintings. Now, the Florentine artists were good people, and Da Vinci was one of them. That's all. Tell me about your home planet. Um... Well, it's more advanced than this one. When I left, it was probably just, you have to bear with me on sure. just sort of guess estimates. I would say they were about 500 years ahead of where Earth is right now. It was organized in such a way where you didn't need governmental bodies. Uh, everyone was to the point where they were a perfect representative of their society. Um, there was no need for uh, financial commerce because we had developed the ability to pull things right out of the ether. We didn't need to spend money on food anymore. My particular house where my wife and I lived was geometrically designed. It had a spire going up the middle. The outer area of it rotated like a carousel. And so you could just sit in the middle and uh, have a nice quiet uh, breakfast. Or you could just uh, sit and communicate with people uh, sitting on the carousel and go around for hours. The view in my property area was more like uh, a desert because, you know, you didn't need to plant anything. Um, so, But, you know, it had every kind of environment that Earth would have, including major cities. I, I with my wife, lived alone, but the major cities, they would be huge escarpments that were uh, you'd uh, the, the architecture was different from on Earth because they had solved uh, problems about strength of materials so that you could have a restaurant sitting out on a balcony with uh, many, many people sitting on it and there'd be no worry about it falling down to street level. Mm -hmm. So are, if someone was to test your DNA, what would they find? See, I am now a human being because uh, uh, I took on this other body. But the other body, mm -hmm. that would have been radically different. It looked like a human being. However, it was fantastically strong by Earth standards. The way I started remembering these things was when I was about four years old, uh, my mother went to a pharmacy, and I found myself standing there looking at a uh, comic book. And it fascinated me. I can even remember what the picture was when I opened the uh, page of the comic book and we quickly left. But it immediately triggered a memory in my mind. It was a comic book about Superman, or actually the specific comic book was Superboy. And uh, from that moment on, I knew there was something weird going on because even though I was only a four-year-old who'd never heard of Superman, I was having dreams about him every single night. My dream was this, that uh, a blonde woman dressed as superwoman, who didn't exist at that time in history, by the way, right. uh, was walking with four Air Force officers to bury Superman. And that was me. And when I was lowered into the ground, I drilled out of the coffin, went about a mile away, came out and became a new identity, a new Clark Kent. Mm -hmm. And so it was a message in the bottle to me that of what I had done. I had, by Earth standards, superpowers. And so I took on this new identity. It was a uh, mnemonic memory device to get me past the amnesia that occurs when a person is newly born again. And so once I saw this imagery of Superman, I started to remember who I was. I'd started to see the, the past life. And I was raised as a Catholic, so past life issues are related to Cal uh, reincarnation here on Earth. And so I was not allowed to believe in such things. And this really isn't reincarnation. It's a... Uh, transmigration that happens. Very few people have accommodated this, but my consciousness in this previous body was so strong that it could draw that much force that it could do something that most humans uh, of today can't do. Mm -hmm. And so it was these memories of Superman that uh, helped me to uh, 
draw it together. In fact, uh, I have the second best Superman collection in the world. I know the man who has the best one, so I can compare it. I have uh, an autographed letter from the man who invented Superman. I have the dog tags from World War II, the first guy who played him in the movies. I have the only manuscripts to the first Superman movies back in the 40s and 50s. Wow. I have a really good collection. And it was because I was driven by this image of, of Superman, mm -hmm. a character I'd never heard of before. Fascinating. So you've been here a long time. Have you, have you lived on other planets as well? A bit, bit of a uh, difficulty hearing that last question. I said, have you lived on other planets as well? Not that I've ever thought about. Uh, with the capacity that we have, I suppose it would have been easy. I was mm -hmm. the captain of the vessel, so I was obviously comfortable with what I was doing. I would say that generally it was a yes answer, uh, but my life wasn't really devoted to um, exploration. I was a mathematics professor on my world. And so I was kind of a couch potato type. So, which reflects on my life today. I'm probably the best mathematician that the earth has ever had. So, if you, if you're all this, why don't you come out of the closet and let people know who you really are? Well, I'm developing a foundation that will fund the existence of all my inventions and medicines. Mm -hmm and other things that would transform the world. And so I have to be quiet about this because I've seen what governmental bodies do. They don't want a cure for this disease or that disease. They stop it at all costs. Uh, over a million dollars was spent on one of my cures, a cure for cancer. And uh, four MDs and a PhD in chemistry were uh, spent a year testing it. And it's a beautiful formula, but it's against the law to treat anybody. Does so you have to go somewhere else where you're not going to be in competition with or in the view of the uh, people that want to make a living off of human suffering. But how do we know? Sure, I can turn around radioactive uh, waste coming from Fukushima and things like that, but I don't want to. But how do we know? How do we know? How do we know? Killed. How do we know you can do what you say you can do? Like over the radio, just like the Internet, people can say they can do a lot of things. Uh, I didn't want to bring up the subject, <laughs> so I wasn't prepared for the subjective versus objective reality test. If I gave, this, if I uh, gave, however, you, if I gave you a name, all I would like you to say, I know or I don't know. The name is Schaefer. Do you know that name? Mm -hmm. uh, yes. Now, if I could find out, the government could easily find out as well. Uh, could you say the last sentence again? The, sometimes it gets vague on me. Does the name Schaefer, S-H-A-F-E-R, mean anything to you? Uh, indeed, I recognize that, yes. Okay, so if I could find out, isn't it easy for the government to find out as well? Uh, yes, it would be. However, they are a bit slow-witted on what they are able to uh, analyze. Okay, all right. So they're 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 into vast amounts of money, not into vast levels of thinking. Gotcha. So, with all your knowledge and your expertise, why are you waiting to help humanity? Uh, haven't been waiting for the last decade. We've been uh, busily raising funds, and. Um, at this point, we have some assets that will, in the next week or so, become very, very uh, big in terms of uh, capital in, in bank accounts. Okay, great. So what is mm -hmm. going to be your first project? Like, how are you going to help humanity the, the best first? Well, I have about three dozen medical formulas, so we're going to be putting about 300 MDs on board a ship uh -huh. and figure out ways to diversify these formulas so that we can get them to the world in inexpensive ways. We already have uh, a fleet of ships that have been donated to us. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I'm not. it's not pie in the sky if you... Uh, were in my presence and that of my associates, you would see that we actually have very large um, physical assets like that. 
So what do you think the, the powers to be are going to do when you start making all these waves? I'm going to be as far away from the world as possible. Uh, I'm going to be uh, as often as possible, not even standing physically on um, terra firma. So are you going to go to another planet? <laughs> well, I have to be here for a while. Um, I remember someone that uh, was working with me years ago went mm -hmm. to a psychic in uh, Europe. He was a Ph.D., and he told this secret about me to the psychic, who's roughly Europe's version of Joe Holbrook. Mm -hmm. And he said, well, you know this person is going to go back home. <laughs> um, but I have an obligation to be here. There's, it wasn't just a coincidence that I came here. There was a, a greater cause that I didn't understand, uh, a spiritual reason that I had to come here. Um, my knowledge base runs somewhere around 500 years ahead of the typical human beings. And so uh, if I wasn't here, imagine just how much of what's potentially bad that's going to happen in the world would actually happen. I have to be here. I can't, I can't just run off once I get my uh, parts for my ship back together. So you have a spaceship? Well, I guess I was being unclear about the fact of how I got here. <laughs> well, the last I heard, you were a little blue light going down the hall in a, in a hospital. Indeed, but add up the numbers here. I came here in 1412, Right. came to uh, North America in 1712. Mm -hmm. uh, in the 20th century, I was a little light. By the way, it wasn't blue. It was more like transparent, but okay. Um, and so that's 300 years there. If, if you were to convert it to Earth years, my actual birth in the first uh, life would be the year 266 A.D. I'm a little over 1,750 years old, if you add up both lifetimes. Um, does that answer your question, or did I, am I still being unclear? Oh, you you answered it, and that was uh, that was clear. But where has your spaceship been all these years? Well, I'm not going to divulge that over uh, broadcast. Uh, I know where it is. Okay, so it's lasted 1,700 years. Uh, no, no, it's um, only been about 600 years since I came here. 1412. Oh, I see. That'd be 603 years. Um. But it would last indefinitely, yes. It simply had taken a, a blast from the enemy mm -hmm. as I was leaving my planet. And so it made it hard to uh, navigate in. I brought her in, as the U.S. Navy pilots would uh, phrase it, I brought her in hot. Mm -hmm. I hit the earth really hard, dug up under a hill, and last I saw it, it was sitting under a tree, well hidden. Unless that area has been developed. Mm -mm. Tell me about the satellite that you claim that is in a polar orbit, transmitting information about Earth back to another planet. Uh, yes, that was the subject I thought that uh, uh, Pat DeRess wanted me to address this evening. Yes. Um, actually, it traces in, in my mind to someone from, uh, from Canada, uh, the... Uh, in the Blackstock, Ontario, Canada area back in 1974, I contacted a man named Michael Blake Reed. He was a psychic. Uh, he used to go into a psychic reading trance, and Philippa Lee would transcribe it, and um, he was pretty good at what he did. And in one of the readings, he started talking about uh, extraterrestrials. He was being asked by people that wrote to him what his thoughts were, and he said, well, somewhere around uh, 2068 A.D., there will probably be uh, an open contact with extraterrestrials based upon a satellite that's orbiting the Earth. And he elaborated, he said that this satellite uh, has been there for a very long time, just simply observing humanity. And when we finally get up there, we're going to find this object has written in clear uh, English letters, press to talk, and a button on it. Um, so... That's 
my first introduction to the concepts, I started looking into it and discovered that in the year 1928, uh, there was a broadcast received um, by an early form of um, radio telescope antenna at 1.458 megahertz, uh, a signal came in. And uh, um, the early astronomers were able very slowly and carefully to decode the mathematics of it and turn it into coordinates on a piece of paper Mm -hmm. with dots on them. And it didn't mean anything to anybody. On one side of the page, there was a picture of... uh, a half of a human face and what we now would know as DNA. Um, the rest of the image was very uh, unclear. It was just a bunch of dots. On one side of the page, there was one dot, and there was about a dozen dots on the other side. Well, back around 1968, now this is 1928 when the signal was received, around 1968, a, a Scottish astronomer named Duncan Lunan, and you may have heard his name, he's a fairly famous astronomer, announced that he had figured out what the 1928 message was. He simply took the piece of paper, folded it in half, and held it up to a light. And that one dot on the right-hand side of the page was now amongst all the other dots on the left-hand side of the page. And so it was a map of the constellation Boots. Specifically, the dot in the middle would have been Epsilon Boots. Um, And he said, that's what it is. It's telling us who sent this uh, satellite, someone from Epsilon Boots. Of course, that's 203 light years away, so it would require some technology that was not available in 1968 to explain how this thing could have gotten so far. It's impossible to go that far with standard rocketry. Well, Duncan Lunan in 1968 uh, was uh, bitterly attacked by people saying he was a nut, couldn't possibly mm-hmm. be, so he retracted the statement, says, okay, I'm wrong. But later he became the head of the um, astronomy uh, section for all of the United Kingdom. And when he was now important and couldn't be fired from a government job, he put his feet up on the desk and said, well, you know that thing I said I was wrong about? Well, nah. I was right. It's Epsilon Boots sending us a signal. Uh, And that's where it stands today. Now, things that are concomitant to uh, that information would be, for example, around 1960, a man in California was sitting watching television one night, and he started saying some strange gibberish, and his wife started writing it down, and it was uh, some kind of communication from a computer orbiting the Earth. It called itself by the name Rhombus 4D, as in four dimensions. Rhombus 4D started talking through this man and uh, gave several pages of information. He said that this is the consciousness of a male being uh, that was put into a computer about 200,000 years ago, and that he was watching the Earth, wanting to Uh, observe the humans uh, developing here, waiting for the day that uh, first contact could be made. Uh, That was 1960. Um, Since then, other people have heard about it and made similar kind of commentaries. There's someone, an unverifiable source, recently said that it's been in orbit about 13,000 years, um, and it's um, one of five million that's in this galaxy used as navigation beacons mm-hmm. for various civilizations. And um, it's also a really hard machine. You, know, you couldn't really blow it out of the sky. It also keeps changing its orbit. We know that. When it was first discovered in 1928, it was 225,000 miles from Earth, which would put it only a few thousand miles from the moon. It's no longer near the moon. It's in a circumpolar orbit uh, above you in Canada. There is a rumor out there that an American astronaut has walked on the surface of it, and the U.S. government uh, knows of it. They've tracked it for probably 30 or 40 years using their uh, Skynet technology, and they have the government has given it the name DK, standing for Dark Knight, which is a reference to Batman, of course. Yeah. So what what are the uh, what are the what's the main reason for all these satellites and all this intelligence gathering? Where is it going to, and what is their use for it? Well, I would refer you, again, this is subjective information, but I would refer you to 
the kind of dribs and drabs of information that come out of Hollywood mm -hmm. uh, back in 1968, uh, Arthur C. Clarke's uh, three-page novel at uh, 2000's and when a space odyssey became a movie mm -hmm. in which an obelisk was studying um, the earth, watching humanity evolve mm -hmm. for some special cause. Apparently, DK is exactly that. So when, when do you think, based on your knowledge, your experience, your, your age, when will contact actually happen on this planet? Quickly, very quickly. Uh, Twenty sixty-eight, by the name, by the reference of, to Michael Blake Reed of uh, Canada, uh, I think that that's no longer a reality. I think that it's going to happen uh, very quickly. Probably by the year twenty twenty-three, we will be invited into a galactic group of, using a Star Trek term, federation, if you will. Mm -hmm. um, uh, we'll be invited in by a group of uh, people that kind of resemble uh, Chinese. And, uh, well, I, ho I, hope, I hope these people who resemble Chinese are a lot smarter with their finances than the Chinese that we have on this planet. Actually. <laughs> Amen, brother. <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, they, they, they look like them. But then again, so many Chinese look alike also. Um, so are, are we going to be get, are we going to be getting help? Why don't who you, says we're not? Well, look the the way the world is in chaos. We have global warming. We have pollution. We have people who are dying every day from diseases. We have people who are hungry, homeless. Why don't why doesn't somebody from the great beyond, instead of just circling the planet, actually land and say, "We're here. We're going to help." Well, I have multiple answers to this. I could just sort of build a case like a lawyer would. Uh, first uh, example I would give you along this line would be in October and November of 2011, there were uh, six known earthquakes in, uh, in the states, mm -hmm. uh, one in uh, Denver, one in the uh, uh, just south of um, Washington in the Langley area, one in San Antonio, and three others all heavily uh, fortified military areas. And San Antonio is most interesting because uh, Texas is the most geologically stable state in the Union, and central Texas, where San Antonio is, has only had one earthquake since uh, 1935, and it was a minor one. So it's an extremely stable area, and yet there was a major earthquake here uh, under the military bases, as there was in Denver, as there was under Langley, Virginia, where the alphabet agencies are. Um, and people started disappearing. One estimate puts it at 300,000 members of the black ops disappeared. And you'll notice that in the first part of December 2011, the President of the United States ordered a recall of troops from Afghanistan to equal the number of people that disappeared from the underground bases because he was afraid Washington, D.C. was going to blink out, just like the secret bases. Uh, the estimate I heard most recently is that 22 bases have now been completely evacuated. So it's going on uh, sub rosa, beneath uh, the vision of mm -hmm. uh, most people so that they can't react to it. Um, so, so, you're, so, you're, that, so you're saying that 300,000 people have disappeared? Yes, sir. And Government employees, black ops, yes. How come? Now, come on. Uh, you seem like an intelligent person. How come? It's rather like uh, someone three, asked me that same how question. Can how can 300,000 people just disappear? Um, I'm sure the last ant would have asked that after someone stuck a vacuum cleaner down the ant hole. Yeah, yes, but you and I aren't ants. We're people. It's a lot easier mm -hmm. to get rid of 300,000 ants than it is to get rid of 300,000 people. And yet they were sucked out. How do In we fact, know that? How do places, we know that? How do we know that? One, one of the best places to get a job is in Denver, Colorado, because there are holes in the ground with nobody in them, and okay, they so need to repopulate. How do we know 
that 300,000 people were taken out, that 300,000 people disappeared. What's the proof? Or as they would say in the old Wendy's commercial, where's the beef? <laughs> um, yes. Well, I've, I've heard the numbers. Uh, I, all I could say is that I've heard it from someone who knows things about the government. That's all I can say. I can't get more exacting than that. I would point out to you another rumor that is uh, related to that. Uh, in Denver, in um, about a year later, let me think, when was this? It was in the April area of uh, 2012, I believe. Uh, at the Denver airport, uh, Russian troops started coming in. They were the Spasnos. And uh, although the uh, congressman that were asked about it denied that it was happening. I said there are no Russian troops in the United States, but of course I've been to a military base in California where they practice war games, and there's approximately 300 Russian soldiers that are billeted there all year round to train with American soldiers in, in tank uh, battles. Um, so I know there are some Russian soldiers, but the rumor was that uh, 386,000 Russians came in through Denver Airport uh, in April of 2012, and it was reported in the Denver Post-Dispatch, I believe it's called. Uh, and so people went out there, and they stood there and looked at the Russians and listened to them talk, and they were Russian Spasno soldiers talking about how much they despised Americans, and they've been distributed throughout the United States. Most of them are in, billeted in the Tennessee area, and they're seen periodically driving up and down the streets with uh, driving trucks with tanks on the back and things like that. And so the president apparently asked uh, the president of Russia to send over 386,000 troops almost immediately after the uh, underground uh, bases were all uh, sucked clean. Why would... Check the internet and you'll see pictures of Russian troops everywhere. Oh, yeah. Well, I don't, I don't, listen, I'm going to tell you something. In my book, the Internet is the biggest septic tank that mankind has ever created. There's more crap in it than there is anything else. <laughs> yeah, I, I would agree. It's been uh, about five years since I've actually had a computer in my house. I gave them mm -hmm. all away. Um, I do most of my work myself so that I'm not influenced by other people's thinking. Yeah, our, yeah I do understand that. Our, our producers just did a computer check on Google, and they could find no reference to 300,000 or up of any Russians in Denver, Colorado. And yet I have seen the uh, I, um, internet picture of the uh, front page of the newspaper from Denver saying, yes, they're coming in. I've also seen a picture on the internet of an airplane crashing into the World Trade Center with a guy taking a selfie on top of the, of the towers, but we know it's a fake. Well, uh, it's Maybe, if it may not. Uh, back in 1970, I was invited to go to a uh, a meeting. There was five of us. We were high school students, and we'd mm -hmm. done exceptionally well in some um, aptitudes. And so we were invited to meet the uh, head scientist from Bell Laboratories. And he took us into a darkened room, and he spritzed some moisture in the air at one point. And then he pulled something out of his pocket that was about the size of a uh, flashlight, and he shined it on the moisture in the air. And all of a sudden, we found ourselves in the midst of uh, the flight of a World War II vintage biplane flying around the room. He said, this is a secret technology the government has asked us to develop, and you can't tell it from uh, the real thing. So if someone wanted to fly an imaginary airplane around the Twin Towers, the technology does absolutely exist because it was demonstrated to me in 1971 uh, by uh, the head of Bell Labs. What are we talking, holographic That's, technology here? Yes, it's a hologram. Hmm. And so people on the Internet have said that we look at the airplanes flying around the um, Twin Towers and we notice that there are no rivets in them. And yet... It looks like... Our, it looks like artwork rather than a real plane. So why would, or who would? Um, well, no, the people that want to make money from war. Let me ask you a question, and I hope you don't take this the wrong way. 
Have you ever been to a mental facility? Indeed. I have uh, spent time uh, studying at a mental facility. You know, I study a lot of medicine. Yeah, I spent three weeks one time going every day to a mental facility to talk to people. I once uh, had a long conversation with a man who drove a tank over 110 cars down the street in San Diego, California. <laughs> yeah. So what is your what is your what is your goal? Why do you come on to radio shows and and just give little bits of information? I was just simply being a friend to Pat Ress. But you you and yes, Pat you and Pat have gone on blog talk radio shows before. But why would you want to go on to a an internationally syndicated radio show? And just give out tidbits of information instead of coming clean and saying, "This is who I am. This is what I do." And this well, is, I'm this not is... giving out my name, address, phone number to anybody. So no, I'm we've, still we've relatively safe. Yeah, we've already got that. Um, but you know, you are safe. We're not going to give it out. Thank you. Uh, I do respect your privacy, but I just you know, it's you. You've said a lot that you can't substantiate the claims for one reason or another. You know, time will tell. Time will tell. Mm-hmm. Um, so what is, you, what is your final message for the members of the worldwide listening audience of the Exxon Nation? Uh, it's a message of hope. Things are not as bad as uh, the Internet tells you they are. People make a living off yeah. of uh, giving you a defeatist attitude. They want you to think that there's an enemy everywhere and that only your leaders uh, have the wisdom to uh, save you by spending money on weapons. And that's not true. Gotcha. There's so, a better future ahead. So would, would you say, based on your experience, that religion is a facade? Well, that's a very sweeping statement. Um um, Jesus is a real person, and the devil is a real concept. Um, but so many people have taken specific directions in religion. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, I'll be very specific, but I'll say the Mohammedan religion is a really grossly misrepresented concept of spirituality. But there is spirituality that exists for real. This concept that I presented of going down the hallway mm-hmm. as a sphere of light right. tells you that I believe there is a spiritual side to man. Yeah. So how long are you going to be on Earth this time? Mm, again, you're asking me for specifics. Okay, my game plan is at age 96 uh, to basically uh, be unfindable to uh, um, be killed as far as the world is concerned. I was visited, now here's another unverifiable thing. Mm -hmm. I was visited in 1997 by people from the year 2059, and they uh, were trying to figure out who I was. Um, So they traced me through my DNA. I'd left some... uh, teeth that had fallen out in a wooden box and they'd done a DNA analysis of it and uh, the first time I got on the internet uh, the internet uh, sent a beam at my face, analyzed my face, uh, found the DNA of my living teeth in my mouth at that time and they simply materialized in the room uh, where I was sitting. And so I learned uh, in the future that I was able to keep my identity secret but the people of the future couldn't believe that the equations and formulas that had been left behind came from a committee. So they always had this philosophy that must have been one individual, something like the speculation around William Shakespeare that he was a half a dozen different people. So, so tell me, um, my last question too, because I've got to, uh, I've got to get on to the uh, next guest in the next hour shortly. Why not go to the United Nations? Oh, heavens no. Why? That's 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 a source of great corruption. Says who? Says I, after years of experience uh, at uh, finding people that want to take advantage of you. 
All right, Ron, I want to thank you so much for joining us. It has been a interesting hour with you, <laughs> to say the least. So, and you know, I'll be very interested to watch what happens in the future. Very interested. Good things will happen. Take care, sir. Have a nice evening. Exonation. That was Ron. Ron Stone. That's not his real name. We know who he is. But I will respect his privacy. Thanks, Craig. I've got the file here. Appreciate it. When we come back after the news at the top of the hour, the one and only Corey Kay is going to be joining me. We're going to be talking about everything from computers to Wall Street to China. And who the hell knows what else? This is the Exxon, a place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard. I think some people need to take their meds now and revisit a place or two. Why is it when these people come on, they make these miraculous and these fantastic claims, they can never substantiate what they're talking about? Why? And hell, if it took us, if we could find out who he was, I'm sure the government can too. I'll be back on the other side of this commercial break with the news as we continue here in the X-Zone with yours truly, Rob McConnell, from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, worldwide toll-free 800-610-7035. Email X-Zone at xzoneradiotv.com and all social media sites, TV. And you can listen to the X-Zone 724-365 at www.xzoneradiotv.com. Don't forget X-Zone Nation, Wednesday, September the 30th, 8 p.m. until 10 p.m. The debate that will rock ufology. Stanton T. Friedman debates Michael Horn. The topic, the Billy Meyer case. I'll be back on the other side of this break with my friend Corey Cade. Don't go away. (laughs) 